So good to see every one of you here today, and I trust that you're doing well. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the Song of Solomon, or open up your computer, your phone, whatever you have, to the Song of Solomon today. And I want to consider for the next few minutes what God is saying to us through His Word and through the words of Solomon as He shares with us. In our culture today, there are many things that are very, very confused. One of them happens to be the whole idea of marriage. Who's supposed to marry who? How's this supposed to work? What's supposed to happen? Our culture will say something. Our laws in our nation and in our world, they say whatever they say. But when we come to the idea of marriage, we have to think about it and say, hey, which way will I go with this? Whose word will I follow? I want to bring you back today to God's word. And over the next three Sundays after this one, I want us to look at the Song of Solomon And as we go through this, we're going to begin a journey of romance with Solomon. The words that he is sharing here, you might say, why would he, Solomon, who was married to so many, Solomon who had so many extra wives, why in the world would he be a person that would write words of wisdom on romance or marriage? I think you've asked a very good question, but I think there's an answer to that. Solomon wrote this very early in his life when he was just coming into adulthood and as he had just been made king, and he would write these words that are very important for us. Now, I realize when I, when I speak to an audience that we have all kinds of people sitting here in the crowd. I realize that we have people that have been maybe around the church or maybe read their Bible every day or multiple times a year they read clear through their Bible. And I, and I get that, and we have those that do. And then I understand there are some that are coming into church maybe for the first time or just one of the first times, and you're really kind of confused about this idea of God. Who is God? Is God even real? And does he have anything relevant to say to me? And then when we come to the idea of marriage or romance and the idea of sex especially, we begin to understand that, well, God surely couldn't say anything about that because he wouldn't know anything about it. And for some reason, we think that sex is a dirty word. But the fact of the matter is, When you go to Genesis chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, it says there to us, in the beginning, God. Doesn't seek to define him, doesn't seek to explain him, it just says, in the beginning, God. Then it goes on and it says, in the beginning, God, and then it starts telling us, created. And then we follow what he did in creation and all the great, wonderful miracles that he created, and the earth, all the daylight, you know, the birds, fish, all this stuff. And then he makes Adam. Now, he did an incredible thing when he made Adam. Because he made us different than all the animals, all of the other things, because he made us, get a load of this, in what God calls his image. Being made into the image of God differentiates us from all other species that are created. And then he sees that Adam is made and made in his image, and he says, well, it's not good for guys to live alone like this. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be a single person and be happy. It doesn't mean you can't be single and be fulfilled. He's not telling everybody in the world that's ever born to, be a, to, to marry. He doesn't say that. But he says, in this case, he says, I want Adam to have a wife of his own kind, yet in my likeness. So he created, he created then Eve. He does this from the rib of Adam. I wonder what Adam would have gotten if he had given an arm or a leg. But uh, he gave a rib and he came out really in a good shape because uh, he got a beautiful wife out of the deal. And then God gives them an assignment. Do you remember what the assignment was? Be fruitful and multiply. You remember that? 
He said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, to be fruitful and multiply means be productive and also be reproductive. And so sex is God's invention, it's God's intention. It's not a dirty word. It has been, listen to this, it has been tainted when we have gotten a hold of it and we've decided to, to tweak it this way and to make it that way and do this and do that and redefine everything until finally we allow that part of our life to ruin, get a load of this, to ruin politicians, to rule corporate CEOs, COOs, to ruin teachers, to ruin preachers, to ruin mayors, mm-hmm. to ruin you. Mm-hmm. We allow this kind of stuff to happen, and then what it does, it ends up doing that. Now, if you think that God is looking at you like some kind of a pilgrim and saying something very prudish to you, you're missing the mark. Because when God created this part of life, he knew full well he had created something that was dynamite. It is among his greatest inventions. Can I get a witness in the house? Because I just said it. You bunch of people. This is like junior high. <laughs> they do it in grade school now, though. They teach in grade school. This is like that. So I'm not bashful about it, teaching you this stuff. You need, to know, you need to hear it. The world needs to hear this now. And so with that understanding, I just want to tell you that God has created this, and it is absolutely beautiful, and it's supposed to be used within the context of a husband and wife in marriage, a man and a woman in marriage. That's the way God intended it. That's the way he set it up. Now, sometimes people will, will come to a, maybe to one of their friends or their peers, or maybe they'll come to a pastor or a teacher, somebody that means something to them, and they'll say, I've been dating this person a while. I just don't know if they're the right one. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Somebody say, I just don't know if they're the right one. So they say that kind of thing. Well, that's a good thing to think. It's a good thing to say. But Dr. Craig Barnes, the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, said that a guy came to him one day and said, I've been dating this woman for several years, and I don't know if I can marry her. She just doesn't make me happy. And he said, well, what would make you happy? What's a wife look like in your mind? And so the guy begins to describe what a wife looks like and what would make him happy. And as he continued to explain, Dr. Barnes, he said to him, he said, let me interrupt you. He says, I don't think you need a wife. I think you're describing a goldfish. I think you need something sitting there in a fishbowl that is beautiful, that won't talk back, has no preferences, has no opinion, but is there, has a nice big tail, just beautifully just kind of swims along in life. Because you're really not wanting anybody like that. You want someone to meet your need, and only God can meet all the needs you've just described. Yeah. I thought that interesting. I'm so thankful that in a very confused culture, God is not confused about this whole idea of sex. W.E. Vines wrote a number of years ago, the Song of Solomon celebrates romance and sexual union in marriage, and God intends for us to live as romantic creatures and to enjoy sex in the context of marriage. This is amazing how God has set this up. In the Bible here, in the Song of Solomon, Solomon in this message today is primarily studying his fiancée. And as he studies her, there are four discoveries that show us how we too can strengthen our relationship with our significant other. And so first of all, I wanted to just say to you that Solomon tells his fiancée who he really is. 
it's highlighted for us in several chapters of the scripture here. But I will say to you first off that they just met while they were working. They met while they were working. You know, people meet their future spouse at a lot of different places. Some people say, well, wow, we met in preschool. Isn't that pretty wild? Some will say, well, we met in grade school. Some say, we were high school sweethearts. That's where we met, and we became sweethearts in high school, and it all worked out for us. Others say, no, we were in college. Some say, no, we were later in life, and we got married. Some may have a spouse die, and they marry again, or something happened like that, or maybe a spouse left, and then you get married again to someone else. And so you have all these things happen in your life. Whatever happens in your life is your story. But Solomon is a shepherd in this story whenever she is talking and when the chapter opens up. His fiancée is a laborer. She is a person who works out in the field. Look what happens in chapter 1, verse 8. She is tending her flocks. Notice what happens in verse 6. She's pruning the vineyards. Notice what happens in chapter 2, verse 15. She trapped foxes. This lady knows her bag and she gets around. Now, the Song of Solomon is written in concentric circles, if you will. The Solomon will start out talking about this, then he'll swing around and he'll start talking about this. And then he'll come back and he'll talk about this, and he'll talk about this throughout the Song of Solomon. So sometimes you'll hear me start talking about chapter 1, and then I'll mention chapter 4, and then I'll mention chapter 3, because that's where it picks back up in whatever it's trying to say to you early on. So just so you understand over these next few messages, that's kind of how it rolls here. So his fiance falls in love with him, seeing him as a shepherd as the scripture opens up. But Solomon's just about ready to leave the fields. Now, you know when you started meeting up with somebody that caught your eye, you kind of had that flicker in your heart, and you're kind of like, oh, boy, this is really cool, and I really like what's going on here. And you wanted to know where they were, right? You wanted to be around them. Can I get a witness in the house somewhere? Yeah, you want to be around them, right? So in our day now, what do you do? You text them. You may shoot them something like that, and you want to communicate with them all kinds of ways, right? And so you're communicating with your, your, with your person, and you want to know where they are. And so what Solomon said was, you want to know where I am? I'll tell you where I am. Follow the track of my sheep. That's where I'm going. That's where I am. If you'll follow my tracks, that's where I'm going to be. But Solomon had another side to him. He is also the king. He's David's son, King David's son, and now he is reigning as Solomon the king. And his fiancée hears news that King Solomon is coming to Shunem. That's a town where she lived. And as she realizes this, in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, she sees him coming and recognizes him and says, there comes, oh my goodness, it's my shepherd boy. She sees him in the endearing way that she's more comfortable, and that is as a shepherd. And so when she sees him as a shepherd, this is absolutely wonderful because she feels comfortable in this moment, and she feels really good. But he lets her see the other side of him. He lets her see that he's not just a shepherd. Let me just stop for station identification. If you're ready, say yes. yes. Here's what I want to say to you. We have no room for secrets when we're trying to discover who the other person is. We do not hold something way off back in the back rooms of our life when we're trying to have an open and honest relationship. And he is letting her see the other side of him. So if you're in chapter 3 now, you notice at verses 8 through uh, 10, that there he kind of leaves that shepherd boy mantra, and he becomes the king that he really is, and he is saying to her, I want you to come and ride in my chariot. 
He's coming in in a chariot that has incredible regalia. It is the best, the finest it can be. And he is dressed in absolute fine clothes. And she is coming over here to the chariot. And she is going to ride with him. He says, we're going to go to Jerusalem to the palace. You're going to be around the people I hang around with when I'm not out with the sheep. You're going to see me doing what I do day to day. You're going to know the other side of who I really am. And so she gets into this. And instead of seeing a bunch of sheep around, get a load of this, there are 60 swordsmen and mighty bodyguards that are surrounding the chariot. He is riding in style with the limousine, and he's got it going on with all kinds of security all around him. She is definitely out of her comfort zone in this moment. She's definitely seeing a different side of what's going on. Am I right? She's seeing a whole different side about what's going on. I recommend that people date for a year. If you're a younger person, if you have a year, if you're older, shorter time of dating, but date for a year. You say, why do you say that? We met, whoa, man, we love each other, and you're marrying a feeling at first, and then you say, no, 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 Kev, we love each other, but you haven't even seen how the person grieves. You haven't seen them when they're happy. You haven't seen them whenever they get used to you. Um, you don't know when they're sad. You don't know how they act when they get mad because they put on their best behavior when you first meet, right? You don't know how they feel about money. You don't know how they respect their parents. You don't know how their family handles Christmas, how they do birthdays. You don't know how they do, they do, they do, they do. What's a vacation look like to them? And so if you date for a year, you get acquainted, and in getting acquainted with them, you begin to understand, is this somebody I really want to be with? Is this somebody I really should be with? And then I notice something else in this passage. Second thing, we look at Solomon. Solomon quiets his fiancée's insecurities. Now, he quiets his fiancée's insecurities. She thinks this about Solomon. Look at chapter 1 and verse 16. My love, you are handsome. You are truly handsome. You are the bomb diggity. I love you. That's what she's saying. But she's insecure. She's insecure. She wants to know, how will Solomon feel about me? He knows I don't live in the palace. He knows I don't come from the royalty he's from. He knows all of this kind of stuff. Dennis and Barbara Rainey said this. I thought it interesting. They said insecurities a lot of times in a lady arise from early events in her life. I'm not sure if that's accurate in your life or not. Most of us have insecurities of some kind. It's not a sin or a problem to have an insecurity. What we must do is we must deal with our insecurities. We must look at our insecurities and we must say, I got to deal with that. And so we address our insecurities as best we can. So she is insecure, and the Scripture tells us why she's insecure. Look at verse 5 and 6. She said, I had to work hard. My family has made me work out in the sun in the vineyard. She's kind of coming from a working class family. They were angry at her for whatever. They sent her out to the fields to work. And she said, I may be a little bit weathered from all of that. And she's unsettled about what her appearance will be before Solomon. She said, I want you to look at me, and I want you to really appreciate and love me. Dear friends, station identification, here it is. We need to come to grips with who we are. We need to allow ourselves to be the real us. And we need to be able to be comfortable around the person we're marrying, where we don't have to put on airs or put on, as we said back home, the dog. We want to be able to be who we are, to be able to allow ourselves to just be us. And when we can just be us, it makes for a comfortable relationship that is much more healthy and it has a great chance. 
Some people will say, well, I'm just going to go marry this person. I know they got all these troubles, but I'm going to be the helper. I'm going to be the fixer. I'm going to be able to rescue them. And so we marry a project instead of really marrying a person. Here's what happens when you marry a project instead of a person. You end up realizing that you can't be their rescuer and their lover. It's very difficult to be their counselor and yet be their spouse. It's hard to do those things. And they're very difficult to do. Some people will say, well, well, I really don't know. Um, you know, I don't know if... Um, I don't really care if the person's a Christian or not. I, I know I'm a Christian and all that, and I follow Christ and all that, but I really don't care. You know, the Bible says we, we shouldn't be unequally yoked, and you don't do your missionary work while you're dating. You want to date somebody who is equally yoked with you because life throws enough at you. You want to be able to have a similar foundation, and one of the greatest places of having that is in the marriage idea of faith. And so when we have these, we want to be able to say, God, this is where I am. Now, I realize I'm talking to people who haven't done this. You've lived a different way. You weren't raised with this. You didn't have this in your life. You've never heard this. This is new stuff to you. You're like, what? Really? Dude, where are you coming from? <laughs> that works for you. No, this is really getting back to the basic of what God wants. That's all this is. We don't hear it in our society, but it's blunt truth. And it's really where God has it. So I'm just laying it down. You can pick it up. And if you leave it, that's between you and God. But I'm just putting it down. You see what I'm saying? That's where it is. So Solomon respected her. She didn't know if he did or not, but he did. And so he starts affirming her and calming her insecurities and her inferiorities. He starts dealing with them. Look at verse 9 through 11 and then 14. He calms her fears and insecurities. He says this in verse 9. Now he talks in old vernacular. <laughs> this is kind of like whack stuff. Your beauty is like the most regal horse harnessed to Pharaoh's chariot. You look like a horse. Now, don't go home and tell your spouse she looks like a horse. As a matter of fact, if he does, whoa, you're going to catch one of the elbows maybe. But what he is doing is he's giving her vernacular. She will understand, right? She embraces this truth, and she says, wow, he thinks I'm really something special. Yes, Solomon thinks she's one of a kind, she's an original, and she's incredible. And then look what he says in verse 10. Your cheeks are gorgeous. Verse 11, your neck enhances your appearance. I don't know if she thought she had a long neck, thought she had a short neck, whatever. He says, you are absolutely beautiful. Look at verse 14. He says, you're like a cluster of beautiful flowers. Isn't that amazing? You're like a cluster of beautiful flowers. So she knows that Solomon thinks she is incredible. Let me just say this. Several years ago, I taught a class on prayer. And one of the supplements that I use with that was this book called Power of a Praying Husband, uh, Stormy O'Mari, and she wrote a corollary, Power of a Praying uh, Wife. Anyway, she sold about 10 million copies of this. This actually, uh, you can get this at christianbook.com for a nice price. They're, they're cheaper than most everywhere else. Christianbook.com. Anyway, it redefined how I was praying for my wife. I prayed for her spirit, her emotions, her experience is motherhood, moods, marriage, submission ideas, relationship, priorities, beauty, sexuality, fears, purpose, trust, protection, desires, the list goes on. Her work, how she feels about herself. So I was praying these prayers like this. God, bless Pam today, give her favor, uh, calm her around our kids, help them have a good day, not kill each other. 
and uh, to still be here when we get home and all this kind of stuff. This is kind of what I was praying. This redefined how I prayed to this day. This redefined. I share that with you because I think you ought to think about something like this if you're not doing very well in your prayer life for your spouse or listen to this or if you are stagnant or listen to this if you don't even pray for them at all. It's a starting point, all right? So it's not a criticism. It's an invitation. Do as I'm doing. And then I want to notice this about Solomon. Solomon knows little things make a big difference with his fiance. Look at verse 9. Verbal difference. Solomon tells his fiance. He, he tells her how awesome she is. Someone said that a courtship begins when a man whispers sweet nothing and it ends when he says nothing sweet. That's probably true. But what we need to make sure is that we're not just saying, well, she knows. She knows. I went up to, um, by the way, uh, adjust the air, air in here on your phone, please. Make it a couple degrees cooler. Uh, thanks. Um, I went up to the baseball card shop, and I, when I went in, I noticed a guy was just kind of sitting there, and he wasn't his usual expressive self, so I looked at him, and I'm like, hey, what is this? And so I started listening to him. This guy's twice my age. He said, my wife left. I guess you heard that. I said, no, I didn't hear anything about it. What are you talking about? I said, yeah, she left. He said, I cannot understand. I gave her a washer, gave her a dryer, gave her a new refrigerator. I gave her all this stuff, and I don't understand why she left. I wasn't married. I was like at the end of my high school career. And when it came to the end of my high school career, I was smart enough to know this. Sir, she doesn't want your washer. She doesn't want your dryer. She doesn't want your refrigerator. She wants you. He was not speaking in the zip code of what she understood and wanted. He wasn't meeting her need. Be specific. Solomon began to understand this lady needs me to tell her I'm affirming her. She likes to receive some gifts, so in verse 10, he gives her earrings and jewels to make her neck look regal. Verse 11, look at verse 11 in chapter 1. If you're there, look at it, because it's absolutely important. He says this, we will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. I want to ask you to listen to that again. It's not on the screen. Just listen. And I want you to personally decide what's the most important part of that verse. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. Solomon is saying, you're the subject, and he's saying, we, look at this, he's not bashful, he's not embarrassed, he is saying, I want to be able to be together with other people, they can know I like you, they can know I'm head over heels about you, they can know I love you, listen to this, listen to this, if you date somebody who wants to always pull you away from everybody else, to the point of just hiding you away and threatening you, if you leave me, I'll kill you. If you do all this kind of, that is not love. That is an unhealthy, sick mind who doesn't understand, and that is a jealousy, and it is a problem that must be dealt with, and your safety needs to happen. You need to get out until you are safe. That's ridiculous talk. It should never happen among the mature or the immature. So the most important part of that verse, in my opinion, is whenever he says, we will. I'm going to bring other people into the mix, and I'm going to let them know. My family might know. Uh, my friends might know. My coworkers might know. 
I'm happy to be dating you. He's proud of her. Now, a number of years ago, when Pam and I first got married, uh, we had a very limited income. We were pastoring in Columbia, Missouri. I made 14000 They gave us a house to live in. So it was, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't really going on very much. But we got married, and we loved each other and all that. So once in a while, I would go buy a dozen red roses, and I'd get a box of Russell Stover's uh, Pecan Delights. They had caramel in them. I figured I could not go wrong. Chocolate, caramel, and I was nuts about her, so I figured that would be good. <laughs> and so I would bring it home, and I began to realize about the second or third time I was a complete lug nut idiot because she said, why did you spend our money? And I'm sitting there thinking, why did I spend our money? You're supposed to be jumping up and down turning cartwheels, what I thought. You're supposed to be saying I'm cool and all that, and I didn't get it. And sometime later, I ran into something called the five love languages, and I have taught from this before. Can I say something in kindness? I'm going to be blunt. I mean, it's bottom line, ugly blunt. Will you let me do that? If you will, say yes. I've taught from this before on this stuff. And then ask people later, do you know what your spouse's love language is? And they say, I don't have a clue. Then you become the problem. And not your spouse. You become the problem that must be dealt with first. Go to www. All right? FiveLoveLanguages.com slash quizzes slash love dash language. It's in your bulletin. Get a bulletin on your way out if you didn't get one on your way in. That insert has it on it. I began to understand something else. Mm-hmm. I wised up. First Peter says you need to go to school, guys, on your wife. So I wise up and I started going to school on my wife and learning what made her tick. I got a hold of those five love languages. Words of affirmation, quality time. And the list goes on. Physical touch. Receiving gifts. Acts of service. And I said, ha! Ah, I took the test. It, you can do the test in two minutes. It's free. Online. You can do it right now sitting there on the phone. Go ahead. I mean, don't, but you could. You need it that bad. And I began to understand, oh, my stars. When I run the vacuum sweeper, I like lines in the carpet if I ever do it. And I'm going to like lines in the carpet. Man, she's coming. She's singing my praises, thinking I'm something special and all this. And I'm saying, what? I'm just over here vacuuming the stinking floor. Empty the dishwasher? Are you kidding me? Uh huh. (laughs) Solomon and me are right up here together. It's like, hallelujah. The angels start singing. And I started wising up. I don't even have to go to the store and spend money. I can stay home and do this. I ain't nobody fool. And so I would stay home and just start doing kind of this type of stuff. And I started doing that kind of thing. And I realized, uh-huh, she likes acts of service. She doesn't like gifts. She likes acts of stinking service. That means I can't sit down in the recliner. I got to get up <laughs> my seat <laughs> and get up. But then I realized, when, I, when am I ever going to rest? This woman's going to make me whirly dervish. You know what else she liked? Quality 
time. Just spending time sitting there watching a daggum, excuse me, watching a stupid (laughs) chick flick. And that counts as time. Driving down the road counts as time. Things are looking up. Because I began to understand and I started. And so here's what happens. When I want my marriage to go well, you know what I need to do? Pay attention to those two things. Among others, never be rude, try to be kind, all that, but try to invest in those. And when I make those deposits into her life, not giving her, I'd rather give her gifts. It's easier. Go buy, hunt, shop, boom, shoot, tag, bring it home, here, and be done. But it doesn't turn the crank. Doesn't work. So I have to go along the way that does work. And I'm okay with that. You need to go when you get out of here today, you need to go home and at lunch, you need to figure this out. You need to flat figure it out. I want you to nudge your neighbor hard enough to break a rib. <laughs> no, just crack it. And, and tell them, you need to do this. You need to do this. Daniel and Charlotte Aiken, pastor, he talked about her love languages, her love language, receiving gifts, quality time. His words of affirmation and physical touch, He said one day his wife said to him, I'd like for you to watch a movie with me. He knew what that meant, sense and sensibility. It meant chick flick. He was not interested and he said, I don't don't really have time to do that. She said, oh, that's okay. And she walked away and casually and under her breath she said, I'm sorry you're going to miss out on a two-hour foot massage. (laughs) It's accompanied by popcorn and a movie. And he said, what time does the movie start? He was smart. Listen faster. Solomon looks into the window of his fiancée's heart. And when he does this, in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, he sees her character. It's who she is when nobody's looking. She's a real deal. He sees integrity. Robert Clinton says it this way. Integrity is the heart of character. And he sees her personality and begins to understand. I've done premarital counseling a lot. And I've done post-marriage counseling some. But I know this. that Whenever I've done premarital counseling, I've said to everybody coming to me to get married, I said, please get this. And we would give them something like this. This is a personality profile Fred and Florence Littauer put together. It gives strengths and it gives weaknesses. You go through, it's real easy. You fill it out, you fill out all the answers, you come away and you find out it will, it will get you within, I mean, almost a hair's breadth of accuracy. It is amazing. As I've taught this in groups and classes and had people fill it out and we've responded together in the class. And it's been amazing how people have responded to that. It has been unbelievable. So Solomon, what did he do? He looks in her eyes at verse 14 and 15. He says, your eyes are like dove and they speak of your personality. I'm paraphrasing. He says, your eyes are gentle and they're peaceful and they're pure and they're simple. Her eyes are a witness to the person she has inside. I land with this. A pastor in the Midwest, and I'm not going to say his name, but he was very honest. He said he had been married a number of years. He was up just past midnight doing an assignment, doing some project work. And he says, my wife was already in bed, and I was thinking, I don't even have any feelings or love for her. They're gone. Gone. And he says, having no feelings, I was just kind of sitting there thinking it through. And then he says, there's an inner voice that spoke to him that he takes to be God through his Holy Spirit that just kind of, hey, 
get dressed, go to the store, and get some flowers, and get a card. He's like, no, that can't be. Get dressed, go to the store, get some flowers, get a card. He said, so I got up and I got dressed. I drove to a 24-hour supermarket, picked up a bunch of roses, picked up a card, drove back home. When I got home, he said, that inner voice spoke to me again and said, bless her. So when he got the card opened up, he starts writing all the things he likes about her, many things she's good at. And he just wrote this, sealed it up. He said, I put all this beside her on the bed, not in the bed, but beside her so she could, she would see it first thing. He said, that night for the first time, I went to bed feeling love for my wife. He said, that act caused her to do something to reciprocate back to me. She did something kind for me. You see, if the guy's giving you an effort, ladies, respond and don't be a love nut. They may be dumb, but they're trying. <laughs> okay? Give them an E for effort. Can I get a witness somewhere now? Come on, guys. I just helped you out. <laughs> she did. He did. She did. He did. To the point they were almost just one up in each other. And finally, after about six months of this, they sat down and had a candid conversation. You know what it was? He said, this is how I was feeling, and I felt like God wanted me to wake up. And she said, I was feeling the same way, and I felt like God wanted me to wake up. And that's when they began to do for each other what they knew they should have been doing all along. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine on you. And may he use this message however he sees fit. And may he be glorified as your relationship is strengthened. And you benefit as well. May you go in peace.